Welcome to the Christ Walk Church Podcast. Uh, we are in week two of our series on Proverbs, where we've been talking about foolproofing our lives. And so we've been looking at this from the standpoint of Proverbs 1, verse 3, where uh, the writer says, the, the Proverbs will teach you how to be wise and self-controlled and will teach you to do what is honest and fair and right. And I don't know about you, but I want to be a person that is considered to be wise and self-controlled. And here's the good news for everybody today. Even if you're here this morning and you're not a Christ follower, like you're just here because someone bribed you or begged you or, you know, you're just here to get the monkey off of your back. This is the cool thing about Proverbs is that whether you're a believer or not, there's stuff in Proverbs that you can learn that will make your life better if you put it into practice. And so um, I want you to know that while I believe that living a life surrendered to Jesus Christ is the best way to live, If that's not how you're living your life right now, that's okay, because this is a place that you don't have to believe to belong. And I'm just glad that you're here. But what I would challenge you and encourage you to do is to lean in today and see if maybe there's something from God's word that you might be able to find that if you put it into practice, it would add value to your life. And so with that said, if you've got your Bible um, or a smart device, maybe you want to turn with me, swipe with me. We're going to look in two separate places today. We're going to start off in Proverbs 22, and then we're going to land um, in the New Testament. Proverbs is in the Old Testament, that first big section of our Bible. And then we're going to land in the New Testament in um, in the Gospel of Mark. We use the word gospel because gospel means good news. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the gospels because they tell the good news, which is the story of Jesus Christ. We're going to land in the gospel of Mark chapter 10 in just a minute. You know, last week we talked about um, our friendships and we looked at the idea that our friends will determine our future. That if we choose wise friends, that they're going to put us on the path to wisdom. But if we choose foolish friends, then they're going to put us on the path of suffering and harm. And so today, for the next few minutes, I want to talk to you about your reputation, your reputation. And so we'll be looking at Proverbs 22 and then Mark chapter 10. So Everybody in this room this morning, you all have something. There's something that you own or that is uniquely yours, but everybody else uses it way more than you do. Can you think of what it might be? Anybody have an idea? Your name, that's right. Your name, it is uniquely yours. It belongs to you but everyone else uses it way more than you do. And if that's not the case, stop talking in third person because that's not cool. All right, get over yourself, okay? Um, So on the count of three, here's what I want you to do. I want you to say your name. One, two, three. All right, I've got it all memorized, even though, you know, (laughs) quiz me after church. Um, Now, look around the room and find somebody that you know their name. Just look around the room, find somebody, lock in on that person. All right, now, now what do you think of whenever you hear that person's name? Maybe you don't want to say that out loud. Probably 
just for the good of the body might not, uh, might not say that out loud. But find that person and think, what do you think of whenever you hear their name? All right, now turn it inward to yourself. What do other people think of when they hear your name? Again, probably something you might not want to say out loud. What do people think of when they hear your name? Here's what Proverbs 22 says. It says, being respected, or some translations actually read a good name or having a good name. Being respected is more important than having great riches. To be well thought of is better than silver or gold. There's another translation, the New Living Translation, that reads, Choose a good reputation over great riches. Being held in high esteem is better than silver or gold. And when we talk about those, those great riches, we talk about silver and gold. What, what the writer is talking about there is simply earthly pursuits. That it's better to have a good name, to have the respect of other people, to, to be known as a good person is better than having a full bank account or a really nice car, or, you know, fill in the blank with whatever some of those other earthly pursuits might be that we find ourselves driving after from time to time. So um, I've got a couple kids, Luke and Avery. Luke is 12, getting ready to be 13. Avery is nine, going on 19. And um, uh, we, my wife and I, we went on a, on a little date the other night and um, for the first time, I think, ever, uh, we were just going to be gone for a couple hours to go catch a movie. We left them at home by themselves. And I said, I said, I told them before we left, I said, be good. Be good. And in fact, I dropped Avery off um, in her class for her first day of school. And right before I left, you know, we had done the hugs and the, and the goodbyes and everything. And I looked at her in the eye and I pointed my finger in her face and I said, be good. And anytime we're around our kids, we, we send her to Kids Walker, we send Luke off to school or, or, you know, with his friends or whatever. The last thing that we tell them, and, and no doubt for those of you that have kids, you do the same thing. The last thing you tell your kids before you depart is be Good, because that is what we want. That's, that's the desired outcome that we want for our children. We want them to be good. And I want them to be good, more importantly, because it's a reflection of me as their parent. If my child is out in the world acting a fool, then people are going to think that I'm an idiot. Like, what's this guy doing? Look at, you know, and so I want them to be good for themselves, but also for me and who they represent. And so that's what we tell our kids time and time again. We tell them, be good, because that's the outcome that we desire in their life. But the bigger question is, I started thinking about this, the bigger question for me is, why do I feel the need to have to say that to my children? Why do I feel like every time they're going to leave my presence that I have to tell them, be good, that I have to remind them, you need to be good? And the reason is, is because it's something that doesn't come naturally to them. And if we looked in the mirror and we were honest with ourselves, it's something that doesn't come naturally to any of us. We all need that reminder to be good because that's what we want, right? We want people to look at us and say, 
There's a good person. We want people to look at us and say, now they have a good marriage. They've got good kids. They must be good parents. They're really good employees. Or that person there, that's a good church member. Or they're a good student, a good athlete, a good friend, a good neighbor, a good fill in the blank. We want to be good and we want to be known as people who are good, but there is a problem. And the problem is that we are not good. And because of sin, we can't be good. Not only are we not good, we are incapable of being good on our own. The Bible says this, uh, Paul writes about it in Romans 3, uh, verses 10 and 20. He says, as the scriptures say, there is no one who always does what is right, not even one, because no one can be made right with God by following the law. The law only shows us our sin. It's a pretty bleak picture that Paul is painting there for us that no matter what we do, that there is none of us, any of us in this room, outside of this room, there is no one, not even one, that does what is right or what is good. And so that begs the question, if we want to be good, but we are incapable of being good, and what do we do about it? If we want to be good, but we are incapable of being good, then what do we do about it? All right, so let's jump over to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, and we're going to take a look at that this morning. Now, something you need to know before we jump in, this is this particular passage that we are going to read. Chances are in your Bible or on your device, it has the headline of something like the rich young ruler. And this is what you need to know about this particular passage is that it's considered part of the synoptic gospels. And so synoptic is a really fancy word that means sharing a common view. And so we have the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John is kind of off to himself. He writes from a completely different perspective, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke are considered the synoptic gospels because a lot of their content is the same. And so this particular story is included in each of those three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They each present it slightly differently, but it's still very much the same story, very much the same interaction between this rich young ruler and Jesus that we're getting ready to discover. And so for today's purposes, we're going to be looking at it through the lens of Mark. So Mark 10 starting with verse 17, says this, As Jesus started to leave, a man ran to him and fell on his knees before Jesus. The man asked, Good teacher, what must I do to have life forever? And Jesus answered, Why do you call me good? Only God is good. You know the commands. You must not murder anyone. You must not be guilty of adultery. You must not steal. You must not tell lies about your neighbor. You must not cheat. Honor your father and mother. Verse 20. The man said, Teacher, I have obeyed all these things since I was a boy. Jesus, looking at the man, loved him and said, There is one more thing you need to do. Go and sell everything you have and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. 
Then come and follow me. He was very sad to hear Jesus say this. And he left sorrowfully because he was rich. Now, this passage is interesting because even though we're talking about good names and and good reputations, we don't, ironically, know this man's name. But what we do know about him from the three accounts in Matthew, Mark, and Luke is that this man was rich, he was young, which is included in Matthew's account, and he was in charge. He was a ruler or a leader, which is included in Luke's account, he was the three things that we all want to be, rich, young, and in charge, right? You know, this, this in the community had become this man's reputation or his identity. And while we don't know his name, no doubt anyone could have said his name in that community and people would have known who he was. He was rich, he was young, and he was in charge. He was a person of influence. Um, you know, the, the scriptures don't, directly say this, but I believe that he was probably the captain of his football team. I think he likely drove a Ferrari. He also dated a supermodel and he loved his grandma. What a jerk, right? I mean, unbelievable. You know, he has everything that we could possibly want, seemingly so. And beyond that, He was a man of great moral character, all right? Because Jesus says, these are the commands that you should follow. And he said, I've followed these all my life. Each and everything that you are mentioning, I've done all of this. So he's rich, he's young, he's in charge, he's probably handsome like me, he's got a, you know, he's got a pretty wife like I do, and he is the kind of guy that every man wants to be and every woman wants to be with. He's the kind of guy that every dad hopes their daughter will bring home for dinner or will go to prom with. You know, like this guy has it going for himself. And he comes to Jesus. And he asked this question, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And so in addition to being rich and young and in charge and being a man of moral character, he's also sincere because when he comes to Jesus and asks this question, the the gospel includes that Jesus says Jesus loved him, that his heart went out to this man. He saw him as someone who was very sincere in the things that he was asking. So this guy is, I mean, he is the kind of guy that seemingly we would want to pattern our lives after. We would look at him and we would say, there's someone who's good. There's someone who's successful. There's someone that I want to be like, that I aspire to be like. But he's lacking. Jesus says, you have all of this stuff. It looks like you have everything together, everything you need, everything that that you should have, but there's one area in which you are lacking, and that is you are not a Christ follower. So he says, come and follow me. And I think probably for the first time in this man's life, he's been spoken to in this way that he's been told that he lacks something. Because in the eyes of all those around him, this man had everything. But Jesus didn't focus on all the things that he did have. Instead, he focused on the one thing that he didn't have, and that was a relationship 
with Christ. And so he challenged him. He said, come and follow me. No doubt when, when this man came to Jesus, he was expecting to be affirmed by Jesus. He was coming in rich, young, in charge, and he wanted the approval of the one guy that in, in that circle of that day, the one guy whose opinion mattered. And he was saying, like, I know what all of y'all think about me, but I'm going to go over here with my new buddy Jesus, and he's going to let you know what you should be thinking about me. And so he's expecting a very different result here. He's expecting Jesus to give him the thumbs up and say, you're good, man. But that's not what he got. Instead of Jesus focusing on all the things that he did have, he pointed out the one thing that he didn't have, and that was a relationship with Christ. See, Jesus presented this man with a choice that day. And it's the same choice that you and I have today. And it's this. You can either pursue a worldly reputation or you can pursue godly righteousness. But you can't pursue both. So the big idea that I take away from this, when I, when I look at this passage and I, I read this scripture and I see a, 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 lot, of, a lot of pastors would, would maybe you know, take this in the direction of talking about money and everything, and, and that's a different message for a different day, and, and it certainly does have its place on this stage and in the church for us to talk about that, but I'm just concerned with this man's reputation this morning, and it's this. The big idea that I take away from this is that our identity is not found in the goodness of our name. Our identity is found in the goodness of our God. See, it's not about what everybody else thinks about us because that doesn't matter. Because at the end of the day, he who dies with the most toys still dies. The only thing that matters in our life is our response to the goodness that God has bestowed upon us. And so that's my takeaway from this scripture that, that this man, he had found his goodness in things that were passing away. Eventually, he wasn't going to be young anymore. Eventually, his riches would not be able to support him anymore. Eventually, another young man would come up and supersede him in his place of prominence and authority. And instead of being the one calling the shots, the one in charge, he would have a younger man calling them on his behalf. All of those things were fading away. And Jesus is saying, all of the things that you are doing and the things that you are living your life are lacking in comparison to this one thing that you're missing. This man thought he was good, but Jesus reminded him, only God is good. And that our identity, our reputation is not found in the goodness of our name, but it's found in the goodness of our God. Consider what the psalmist writes about the goodness of God and the name of God. Psalm 54, 6, I will thank you, Lord, because you are good. Psalm 52, 9, God, I will thank you forever for what you have done. I will trust you because you are good. Good. Psalm 135, 3. Praise the Lord because he is good. Psalm 105. The Lord is good. His love is forever and his loyalty goes on and on. Remember what Paul said. 
There is no one, not even one, who is capable of being good. He's talking about us. But then the psalmist writes that God is good. The Lord is good. We can trust him because he is good. We should praise him because he is good. And the very nature of God, the very central part of who he is, is his goodness. He is good. We sang about it in a song. Lord, I believe that you are good. That is who God is. That is his identity. That is his reputation. Goodness exudes out of everything that he is and everything that he does for us, his people. See, here's the thing that we've got to, to come to terms with, the things that, that, we've, that we've got to recognize and to realize in our own life is that, is that our name is not made good because of the things that we have done. Our name is made good because of the things that God has done for us. And see, somewhere along the lines, we've gotten it switched up. And we've thought that, that we can get goodness through, through earthly pursuits or through racking up money and, and cars and houses and, and, and friends and, and all of this stuff. And, and we fail to realize that we don't attain goodness through any sort of earthly pursuit. We attain goodness through a heavenly pursuit. That there's something much bigger than what we see around us. That this earth and the things that we have in it is passing away. It is slipping away. And one day, the things that we know, they will, be, they will, they will cease to exist. They will be gone. But Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us, for those of us who believe in him, that it is, it is going to last forever and ever and ever and ever. And you look up that word in the Greek and it means forever. It's never going to pass away. And that for those of us who find our goodness not in our earthly name, not in our earthly possessions, not in our earthly stuff, but we find our goodness in the nature and the character of the God that we serve, we are going to that place and we're going to be with him for eternity to do nothing but worship him in his goodness. See, goodness doesn't come by the way of our hands. It's not about the things that we're able to do or the things that we're able to accumulate and acquire. Goodness doesn't come to us by the work of our hands, but rather it comes to us by the work of our heart, through what we believe, through putting our faith in Jesus Christ. Here's what James writes. James chapter 1, verses 17 and 18, James writes, Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down from the heavenlies, from God our Father. It's not about an earthly pursuit. It's about a heavenly pursuit. And God bestows these gifts upon us because he chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, are his prized possession. I want you to think about your prized possession. 
It's probably not wrapped up in an old Walmart bag and shoved under your bed in the corner of your room. Chances are it's on display on a high shelf. It might even have like a glass case around it or, you know, there, there's some sort of fanfare. It's a, it's a focal point. It's a conversation piece. Maybe it's like pictures of your kids and you walk into someone's house and they're like all over the wall and it's like, you know, this, this big collage of things. And, or maybe it's your refrigerator and you've got pictures of your kids all over the refrigerator. Maybe it's in your phone. And, and if you've ever been around somebody who, like especially um, like a, a grandparent that's just had a new grandbaby, you know, and even though they're old, they figured out how to work that smartphone. <laughs> and every picture in their camera roll is that grandbaby. I got news for you. You are on God's camera roll. You are on his refrigerator. You are in his wall collage. And when people come over, he says, hey, hey, come here, look at this. This is Blake. He pastors Christ Walk Church. Isn't he handsome? <laughs> he is. Well, you know, I made him in my image, so. And he says, he says, this is Blake. He pastors Christ Walk Church, and, and he's my favorite. Do you know what? Then he swipes to the next one, and he says, this is Sarah. And she's so lucky to be married to Blake. she's my favorite he says this is this is Daniel and Dee Dee and they're my favorite and this is this is Stephen and this is Chad and this is Tony and Cindy and look they're my favorite you are God's prized possession and his one desire is to pour out his goodness on you. Not because of anything that you have done, but just because he just loves you. He just loves you. It doesn't matter where you were last night, whether you were in the bed or in the bar, God just loves you. It doesn't matter where you've come from, whether you've been like this guy and kept all the commands your entire life from when you were a boy or whether you're, you're trying to figure it out on the fly. God just loves you and he wants to dis, dis, dispense his goodness, bestow his goodness upon you simply because he just loves you. You are his prized possession. But what's our response to that? Because we've got a choice. We either pursue this earthly reputation or we pursue this heavenly righteousness, but we can't do both. And I think the proper response for us today is to take on the attitude that John the Baptist took on. We read about it in the Gospel of John, verse, or chapter 3, verse 30. John the Baptist says, he, talking about Jesus, must increase, must become greater, and I must decrease or must become less important. What might happen if you and I chose to live our lives for the purpose of making much of Jesus 
rather than making much of ourselves. What if we made Jesus or made much of Jesus in our marriages, in our families, in our schoolwork, in our athletics? What if we made much of Jesus in our finances, our friendships, in every aspect of our lives? We said, he must increase and I must decrease because here's the deal. God is not impressed by the size of your bank account. God is not impressed by the kind of car that we drive. He's not impressed by the grades that we get. He's not impressed by our starting position on the varsity team. He's not impressed by the number of Instagram followers we have. None of those things matter to him. He just loves us and pours his goodness out upon us. And in return, our response should be, he must increase and I must decrease in every aspect of my life so that not my glory, not my goodness can be shown to the world around me, but through that everything that I am as a person, everything that I do as a person, that God's goodness to me is revealed and he is glorified. He must decrease. We, we must decrease and he must increase. When people look at me, the reputation that I have, I don't want them to see me because Blake, Blake's no good. Blake is incapable of doing good and being good. I want people to see Jesus in me because Jesus and Jesus alone is the only one that is good and capable of bestowing goodness on those around him. So my question is, what areas of your life have you been relying on earthly pursuits and earthly reputation, your own fleshly goodness, rather than surrendering those areas of your life to Jesus and depending on his goodness for you? Because you and I, we're not good. We're incapable of being good. There is nobody, not even one, but Jesus. And maybe you're here today and you would say, I want to I take on that reputation for my life. I don't want to be known by my earthly pursuits. I want to be known by my relationship with my heavenly father. And I want to receive the goodness that he wants to give to me. If that's you, I have great news. It's as easy as A, B, C. Admit, believe, and choose. We admit that we are sinners in need of salvation. We believe that Jesus is who the Bible says he is, that he is the son of God sent to earth taking on the form of a human, that he walked among us, that he died on the cross, that he was placed in the grave, and that three days later he arose from the dead and he defeated death, hell, and the grave in the process, and that we make a choice, we choose to surrender our lives unto him and live his way for all of our days. That and that alone is what will make us good. And if that's you and you're here today, 
and you'd like to make that decision for yourself, then I wanna invite you to pray this prayer with me. Can we pray together? Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost without you. I believe Christ died in my place, making a way for us to have a relationship. I choose to follow Jesus and his way for the rest of my life. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christ Walk Podcast. For more information about Christ Walk Church, please visit thechristwalk.com.